0: Just three short readings. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 3 to 9. If anyone teaches, I'll give you the first half, the second half of the verse before it, which says, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it but if we have food and clothing we will be content with that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. From Proverbs 18 verse 16, a gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says this, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty a generous person will prosper whoever refreshes others will be refreshed may god has had his blessing to his word
1: Over the next five weeks that follow about this church, we're going to be doing a DNA series. It's a chance to look at essential things for us as a church and what is most important. Each week we're going to look at a different core value, we're going to unpack that, and we hope and pray that you're inspired by who God's called us to be and what He wants us to do. We want
0: to be a church known for its generosity. We serve
1: an abundantly generous God who has given us all we have. James said,
0: Don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting
1: shadows. The Apostle Paul passes on timely advice to young Timothy when he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in
0: wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds
1: and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm
0: foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In response to this truth we want to be open handed, not tight-fisted with our time, with our passions, with our finance and resources. And we want to love and bring joy and glory to God. As a church we want to be known for being radically and sacrificially generous we are and will reflect the image of God who could never be outgiven. We want to have an impact on the world around us and we want to be able to bless others with what God has already blessed us. Going to watch it again. Is that
1: good? Going to watch it again. Good morning everyone. Monday night we had a wonderful night. A meeting for a church prayer meeting. We do this once a month. We gather together on a Monday night and pray. And uh, Monday night was particularly good. Um, we did something, it was a little bit different. We met at 30 Tivendale Road for the first time. And it was a great chance to gather together and to thank God for his goodness and for his provision for us as a church. Now, if you're visiting today or you're listening on the podcast and you don't know what 30 Tivendale Road means, um, just recently we had someone donate uh, two and a half acres of land to us as a church to use for a church, a future church building, which is really, really exciting. And um, we're just really blown away by the generosity. So on Monday, we got together, we we prayed over the property together, and then we broke into small groups and went right around the property praying over each area of the property. Now, at the moment, the property has a four-bedroom house on it. Um, David and Tracy Young are going to be moving in as caretakers. Uh, There's also a spot in the house that we're going to be using for church offices. So we're starting to do a little bit of work there this week. And there's also what I like to call a mega-shed on the uh, property. It's about 20 metres long. It's got a concrete floor. It's got lighting all the way through it. And so we're going to be able to use that for, for youth activities and also for men's ministry and other church activities as well. So it's a huge blessing um, to have it. So it was great to gather together. And for me, it was a moment in time, a moment in our history, our short history as a church. And it felt a bit like a stake in the ground. That, you know, God has called us to this region. And by providing this land, it's a way of Him confirming that calling to say that we are putting our stake in the ground and we believe God's called us to be here in officer, to have an impact, and most of all to lift up the name of Jesus right over our region. And so it was so exciting. Who was there on Monday night? There was about 40 people there and it was just a really great night. And so as I was going home that night and as I laid down and put my head on the pillow, I had to pinch myself twice to make sure that I wasn't dreaming. Uh, the first reason I pinched myself was to think about the fact that there are people that have generally uh, generously donated the land uh, the amount of money that they spend on that block of land they could have easily bought multiple houses for themselves uh, luxury cars they could have traveled around the world uh, many times over they could have done all the things that the world said you should do when you've got that sort of money but they said no 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 god if you're calling us to sacrifice and to sow this for the extension of your kingdom then we really have no option but to be obedient to that And we're going to step out in faith and trust that, that as we generously slow, that you will provide for our needs. And so that's one example in our church community of generosity on a large scale. But the truth is, every day as a church, I see generosity in the lives of God's people. Every day there's people saying, yes, I'll serve. I'll get there early. I'll set up. I'll pack up. I'll serve tea and coffee. Count me in for the breakfast program at the local secondary college. Uh, I want to come and help with mainly music. Now I'm going to bring my tithes and offerings week after week and give sacrificially. I want to sacrifice my time to serve others. And time and time again, we see the generosity of God's people in a community such as this. And so I'm pinching myself as I go to bed thinking, what have I done to deserve to be leading a community like this? And the simple answer is absolutely nothing. If I got what I deserved, I don't know what it would look like. It probably wouldn't be pretty, but it certainly wouldn't be you lot. And so I feel really privileged and honored to be in a congregation of people who are serving the Lord and who are incredibly generous. And so I'm pinching myself, going to bed that night saying, wow, God's people are generous. And I was about to doze off. I was starting to count sheep and I was about to doze off into a sleep. Um, then it hit me. That no matter how generous we are as a church, we're only ever going to be a tiny reflection, a little snapshot, an imperfect imaging of a God who is so much more abundantly, sacrificially, radically generous than we are. God is incredibly generous. And so today as we head into week four of our DNA series, if this is your first week here or you haven't been here for the series, uh, week one was Bible teaching and training, Week two was discipleship and leadership development. Week three last week was fellowship. And today we're going into generosity. And so before I dive into generosity and challenge you to be generous, spoiler alert, I'm going to do that because I believe we're called to it. So if you don't like that, you can go now. But we're called to be generous. And so I'm going to challenge you in that today. But before I dig into that, I want to paint a picture of how generous God is. And so if you're taking notes today, the first thing I want you to write down is that God is generous. We've only got to look at our life every day to know that he's generous in so many ways. He's provided us in the little things, in the big things of life. But today I want to paint a picture of God's generosity by actually pointing to eternity. Because I think that God's generosity is expressed most powerfully in the cross, but also powerfully in what he's promised eternally for those who love him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no uh, human brain has even conceived or perceived or imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And then it says that these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Now, as we read that passage, it's clear that what God's prepared for us in eternity is beyond our comprehension to understand. Our little puny pea brains just can't get our head around how big and how wonderful God is and what he's prepared for us in eternity. The book of Revelation gives us a a bit of a snapshot as to what it's going to look like. And it says that every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no pain. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no more injustice. There'll be no evil. Even sin and death will be completely destroyed. It's wonderful what we've got to look forward to. Really what it's saying is that the mess we've got ourselves in here and now is going to be completely reversed as sin and death are no more. We will live in absolute peace, complete freedom, amazing enjoyment in the presence of the almighty God. As Christians, that's our hope. And that's our future. And that's our destiny. Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. Incredible promises. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you think, you know what, this life is all there is and that eternity stuff. I don't really believe that. I don't really go with that. And, and that's up to you. And I, and I think that we can only really understand it if God reveals it to us by his spirit. And that's what this passage says that we have this guarantee of eternity because the Holy Spirit is not just with us, but he's in us. And he points us and reveals to us what our future is. In fact, he doesn't just reveal what our future is, but the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee of that future. Ephesians chapter one says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's a little bit like a title deed. When you go and buy a new house, you you give a deposit and you get a title and that title guarantees that the house will be yours. It's not completely yours yet, but it guarantees at some point in the future, it will be yours. The Holy Spirit is like that with us. Uh, When we receive the Holy Spirit, when we receive Jesus into our life, the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, into our life, and he is our guarantee, he's our deposit, he's our title deed of what we are promised in eternity. It's a wonderful thing. We might not see it all right now, but it's a guarantee of what we'll see in the future. So for us as Christians, eternity is not just a pipe dream. It's not something we, we cross our fingers and say, gee, wouldn't that be nice like winning Tats Lotto? I kind of hope it happens. I never enter, but I hope it happens. And we, we kind of cross our fingers and think, gee, wouldn't eternity be nice? No, for us, it's not like that. It's an ironclad guarantee in the Holy Spirit that the promises of God for all eternity are ours in Christ Jesus. We can bank on it. We can, we can live on that. Does anyone else think that's good news or is it just me? Hopefully by the end of this message, you're going to think it's good news as well. But that's what God's done for us. It's incredible. And so when life gets tough in the here and now, when things are difficult, when things don't work out like we want, God promises us two things. Number one, he's our ever-present help in time of need. If you're going through a difficult time, God hasn't left you. He's with you. Call out to him. He'll be your help in your time of need. But the other promise he makes is this, that no matter what we go through in this life, our guarantee in eternity is guaranteed in him by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. That's good news. Incredibly, incredibly good news. Now, here's what's so amazing about the gospel. I've said all that. This is what God's prepared for those who love him. This is what makes it such incredibly good news. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it, and yet He's done it for us anyway. So the thing is that each of us have sinned. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Absolutely. Now you think, hang on a second. That's that's pretty drastic. Let's just hang on a second. I'm a good person. I, you know, I've got a World Vision sponsored child. I've got a kid from Compassion as well. I'm kind. I'm friendly. I love my neighbour. I serve in my church. I'm a good person. A death. Um, that just sounds a bit drastic for me. I mean, I'm pretty good. Um, the question is not, are you good? The question is, have you sinned? And the only answer every single person who's ever existed here on planet Earth can give to that question is a resounding yes. It doesn't say the wages of much sin, and so I've got to do a certain amount of sins or a certain type of sins, then add all that up and it equals death. No, it says the wages of sin, any sin, is death. We've all sinned. The punishment for sin is death. That's what we deserve. This is what makes the gospel so glorious. This is what shows God's generosity so powerfully that what he's prepared for us that we don't deserve has been made possible because of his son. The sin that causes death has been taken from us when we are in a relationship with Jesus and it's placed on him at the cross. We've sinned. We deserve death. Jesus, the perfect sinless son of God, God in human form, never sinned, but on the cross he died for the sin of the world. And so when he died on that cross, he died not for his sin, he died for your sin and for my sin. And so if you are wondering how seriously God the Father takes sin, then have a look at Jesus on the cross. You see, the horrific death he died, he saw the the full wrath of God the Father poured out upon him because of all sin of mankind. God takes sin incredibly seriously. Jesus took sin upon himself. And so when we accept what Christ did for us at the cross, when we say, thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place, our sin is taken from us, that sin that separates us from God the Father, it's placed on Jesus. He says it's finished. And so as far as God the Father's concerned, we're innocent because our punishment's been paid by Christ. That's incredibly good news. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Luke, you preach this every week and I'm a little bit tired of it. Well, let me tell you, um, get used to it or find another church because I'm going to preach this every single week. The gospel has got to be something that is powerful for us every single day. That's never something we take for granted. It's never something that is just ho-hum. But every day it transforms us as we are reminded by the Holy Spirit who Jesus is, what he's done, how we can be saved from our sin, and how we can have hope for eternity despite the fact that we're hopeless sinners most of the time. That's incredibly good news. You're going to hear it every week. Get used to it. Every week you're going to hear the same message. I've got nothing else but Jesus. If I don't have him, don't listen to me. I've got nothing good to say except about pointing us to Christ. What happened at the cross is this. Jesus Christ got exactly what we deserved. Death for our sin. When we accept him in exchange, we get what only he deserved. Relationship with God the Father. It's incredibly, incredibly good news. God is generous because he's provided for us here and now but he's also provided for us magnificently in the future. His generosity is lavish, it's extravagant, it's irrational, it's undeserved, and yet he pours it out on us, his love anyway. In the passage today, verse 13, it tells us he is the one who gives life to everything. In verse 17, it says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God is generous and his generosity is most powerfully demonstrated in eternity. So in light of all of that, understanding what he's done at the cross, what he's given us for our eternal future, it's so important that you and I live with an eternal perspective. And so that's my second point today, that we need to keep an eternal perspective. And so this is the, one of the main points I think that a younger, an older man, Paul, is making to a young pastor, Timothy, in today's passage. Let me read it to you again, starting at verse 3 it says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind. They're caught up in the everyday stuff of life. They've they've lost sight of eternity. They've even think They've even been robbed of the truth and they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Uh, Clearly in this passage, Paul is showing that he's not a proponent of the hideous prosperity gospel that says if you give generously, you'll become wealthy. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that as we give generously of every part of our lives, we'll be blessed because Jesus says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive but there's no guarantee that will be in a financial or a material way. In fact, the blessings that we receive um, in Christ can be so much greater than that anyway. So we get so focused on it, but the blessings we have when we see people come to know the Lord and we see things happen for eternity are, are so much better than anything this world could offer. It says in verse six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Did any of you, uh, were any of you born with a designer suit on? Did any of you come out of the womb driving a luxury car? That's, that's an awful picture, isn't it? <laughs> There's a reason that wasn't in my notes. I'm sorry. Sorry, particularly to all the women. Did you come out of the womb with a million dollars in your hands? No, you, you were born with, you came with Nothing. And now for the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, uh, if you, if you have a good knock, 70 years, if you're a bit better, you might get to triple figures, uh, you know, whatever you live, you're gonna do life and you're gonna go through stuff, but one day, all of us, if Jesus doesn't return in the meantime, we're gonna die. I, I don't know if you, you knew that. Sorry to spoil, um, what you were thinking about yourself. All of us are one day gonna die if Jesus doesn't return first. And, and we bought nothing into this world and we're going to go through all this life and what are we going to take with us Nothing. we're going to take nothing it sort of seems ridiculous doesn't it the striving we do for the stuff when we think that we bought nothing we take nothing in fact the only thing we can take with us is people and so that's why we should have a heart to share the gospel with people to see them experience the eternity that we hope and expect and know is guaranteed for us Verse eighty says, But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, for us today, for you, people of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of what? Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What Paul was saying to this young Timothy is whatever you do in life, whatever you do in ministry, do it all with an eternal perspective. And As we read the passage today, it becomes clear what Paul sees as possibly the biggest obstacle to living life with an eternal perspective, and that is material wealth. I don't know who here has seen We Bought a Zoo. Great move. If you haven't seen it, go and get it. It's about a guy whose wife dies, and um, him and the kids go and buy a, a new house, but they end up buying an old dilapidated zoo, and they've got to try and do this zoo up, and then it, it, it opens up again. It's based on a true story. It's got Matt Damon in it, so my wife likes it. I think I'm better looking myself, but she disagrees. As they're getting ready to open this zoo up, uh, one of the zookeepers has got to rush into the lion's cage and fix the lock on the gate. And so he goes into the gate, he thinks it's going to be a really quick fix, but as he gets in there, he realizes that that the lock's now jammed. And there's this moment in the movie where this rather rotund uh, zookeeper is standing at the door rattling with the gate and the lion's over in the middle of the enclosure looking at him thinking, Big Mac. There's a Big Mac meal right there that's going to keep me going for a while. And you can see this lion starting to prowl over towards this guy thinking this is going to be one heck of a meal. And he's wandering his way over there and there's another zookeeper up on the hill outside the enclosure. And so she's there making noise and yelling and whistling and screaming and banging things and trying to distract the lion. And you see the lion in the middle of the cage and you can see in its eyes that it's in two minds. It's thinking, guaranteed meal now. But then it's thinking, but maybe there's something else over there. And so it turns around and it starts wandering over to this other zookeeper. Now, she's outside the cage. She can't be a meal. She's got nothing to offer. She's just distracting the lion. And yet the lion turns away, walks away from the guaranteed meal and wanders towards her. Now, in the meantime, the guy, the rotund zookeeper, fixes the gate and he gets out. The lion now has missed out completely on the meal and has been distracted by what essentially was nothing. I was thinking about that this week and I was thinking about us as Christians and I was pondering the fact that we can so easily be distracted. We've been promised eternity, incredible eternity in the presence of the almighty God. He says, that's yours. The Holy Spirit's guaranteed it. Keep your eye fixed on eternal life. And yet we're so distracted by the things of this life. It's like the devil standing at the, the gate of the broad road. And he says, you know, it's you can have it all now. There's flashing lights and yeah, there's a Ferris wheel. and You know, there's lots of money and there's enjoyment and, and all the, the joy and the hope and the love that you desire, you'll find it down here. And then he's kind of like, don't go down the narrow path. It looks kind of difficult. Uh, you, you know, you don't know what's down that path. But the Bible says the narrow path leads to life. The broad road leads to destruction. Only a few go down the narrow path. The vast majority go down the broad path. And the devil wants to present the broad path like it's the way to true life. And yet the Bible says that the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world and to forfeit your soul? It's a rhetorical question. Oh, well, what good will it do? It'll do no good. One day stand before God and say, "Well, I had everything on earth. What good does it do to gain the world and forfeit our souls?" And yet the devil wants to convince us that we can have it all now. That eternity is so far away, and how can you trust God for that anyway? And so, just focus on the here and now, and gather as much stuff for yourself as you possibly can, and enjoy life. And yet the Bible says that no matter how life our long, how how long our life seems, uh, my grandparents, three of them. Uh, two of them are over 90, another one's approaching 90, and their life must seem like it's been so long, and yet the Bible says uh, in the light of eternity that our life is like that. It's a mist, it's a vapor, it's here and then it's gone, and yet eternity is so long, so it's crazy for us as Christians to, to bank on everything in the here and now, to, to live our life for that when we've been promised that, and so we need to fix our eyes on eternity, Verse 9 says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You could have everything this earth could offer. You could be the richest, wealthiest person on the planet. You could have it all as the world defines it but it will only ever be a very poor substitute and imitation for what awaits us in eternity. And so, church, we need to keep an eternal perspective. So there's only one right response to all this. As we ponder the immense generosity of God, as we keep an eternal perspective, the only right response is that we would be people who are generous. Verse 17, command. Notice it doesn't say suggest. Command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Why? Because it's so uncertain. Here today, gone tomorrow. But put their hope in God because he's a sure thing. He's a certainty. And he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Church, we need to understand that everything we have comes from God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 16 says, "'Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights.'" It does not change like the shifting shadows what we have is not ours it's his our very next breath is dependent on him he gives it to us our family is from God our material possessions have been provided by God but look I've worked hard I've, I've earned what I've got I'm a self-made man I had a company or I had a business or I've worked 40 hours a you know 80 hours a week and I've, I've earned what I've got well Who gave you the gifts and abilities to be able to earn what you've got? God gave them to you. Everything we have comes from God. And so when we truly understand that, what we have is not ours, but it's his, it'll help us not to be tight-fisted, but rather to be open-handed. Now, I know what some people will think. You're thinking about the passage we just read, and it talks about the rich. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, um, I can't really give much with my life, my time, my energy, my finance, my resources, because I don't have much. If you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. You are rich. Yes, Luke, I know. I'm spiritually rich in Christ. <laughs> I have eternal life. I've got it all. It's one. I know that, Luke. No, no. You're spiritually rich. You're materially rich. Do you know if I could get 100 people up here on the platform today, they wouldn't fit? But if they would, and they represented the world's population, do you know that 53 of them would live on less than $2 a day? Do you know that if you earn, if you earn $4,000 a month, you make automatically a hundred times more than the average person on planet Earth. Francis Chan says it like this, which is more messed up? That we we have so much compared to everyone else or that we don't think we're rich? That on any given day, we might flippantly call ourselves broke or poor. We are neither of those things. We are rich, full stop, filthy rich, full stop. It's challenging, isn't it? You see, we've been conditioned to think that there are things that we need, but really they're just things that we want. Verse 6, Apostle Paul says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I love his attitude. Church, we live in an incredible country. Uh, We clearly live in the best state in that incredible country. We have everything at our fingertips. We have food in the fridge. We have a roof over our head. We have electricity. We have clean water. Many of us are employed. We drive cars. We own TVs. We're incredibly rich. So the question is, what are we going to do with all that God has generally, generously given to us? You see, often we want to play it safe as Christians, don't we? Say, so, yeah, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I just don't want to give anything up. I'll follow Jesus if I can keep everything for myself. But to truly follow Jesus, we we learned about this in the week where we talked about discipleship, where Jesus said to be a disciple is to deny yourself, is to pick up your cross and to follow him daily. If we want to be disciples of Christ, we we just simply cannot live selfish, self-centered lives. If we truly desire to please God, we just can't live that way. If you're a Christian here today, there are going to be times in your life where you are called to make great sacrifices. Things that are going to cost you during your life on earth, but will be well and truly worth it in the light of eternity. Verse 18, command people to what? To do good. To be rich in, yes, I like that part, good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share In this way, verse 19 says, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The world says this is life, to have the staff for church. We are aliens and strangers here. We are not created just to, to live here and to focus just on the here and now. We live for someone and something so much greater than just what we see here and now. And so the only appropriate way to live our lives in response to a generous God is to live countercultural, eternally-minded, generous lives with everything that God has richly provided for us. You now, as we go through a DNA series, the temptation is to be excited about every other week except this one. I want to be a disciple. Yes. Yeah, I want to be a lead? Absolutely. Yeah. Do I like fellowship? I love getting together with people. Yes, I'm a person on mission. Yes, 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 yes. Generosity, no. I just want my money. I just want me to serve their church. That's the attitude we often have, isn't it? And yet, I think as Christians, that's not the attitude we're called to. We're called to sacrifice our very lives for the purpose of the gospel. And I actually think that generosity as a church is more important than ever before. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 16, one of the passages that Pete read today, says a gift opens the way for the giver and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. Now, Proverbs are great general truths. And there is some great general truth in this passage that generosity opens up opportunities that wouldn't be available if we weren't generous. In 1997, a guy called Andy Goulet lived in Queensland and he saw all the publicity about Schoolies Week. Couches going over hotel balconies, people overdosing, getting in trouble, the police involved, all sorts of stuff going on. And he thought to himself, maybe I could go in there and make a small difference. So he grabbed a bunch of his mates and they went to the epicenter of schoolies on the Gold Coast. And they approached the hotel manager and they said, would you mind if me and my mates came and helped look after the schoolies that are gathering around your hotel? Now this guy was very overwhelmed. Things were a bit of a mess. There was a lot of trouble. So he was happy to take any help that he could take. And so Andy and his mates went there that night and they hit the streets. Second night they thought we need to find a way to break the ice with some of these schoolies. And so they went to the supermarket, as you do, and they grabbed a random pack of lollies. It was Alan's red frogs. And they went out that night and they started handing out red frogs. Now to their great surprise, wasn't really, but schoolies love red frogs. They love free lollies. Who doesn't, right? That's why Pete's got new teeth this morning, because he loves lollies. (laughs) Wasn't in the notes either, mate. It's just a Holy Spirit thing. (laughs) That first year, Andy Goulet himself purchased 80 kilos of red frogs every night during Schoolies Week, went out, handed red frogs to these guys, built relationships, and, and sort of spoke into their lives. It was wonderful. Fast forward 19 years, and each year now at Schoolies Week, they distribute 16 tons of red frogs every year, every single year. It's not about the red frogs, is it? It's about sowing into people's lives and blessing them. It's a way of starting a conversation. Not only do they give out red frogs, but they hand out bottles of water. They make pancakes for schoolies for breakfast in the morning at their accommodation houses. They work with emergency services. They also serve in universities, at festivals, sporting events, music concerts in Australia, New Zealand, UK, Canada, South Africa, Poland, and Bali. Their goal is to safeguard a generation, but they've also seen hearts transformed as their generosity opened a door to bless the schoolies and share the gospel with them in their context, partying at the end of year 12. You see, it's generosity that opened the door. In a world that's increasingly wary of the church, cynical of church leadership and Christianity, it's our generosity that will open doors that wouldn't open otherwise. It's our generosity that will put us in the presence of people we wouldn't be in the presence of otherwise. It's our generosity that will open up opportunities we wouldn't have otherwise. It's generosity that will give us the chance to share the gospel where we wouldn't share the gospel otherwise. Generosity will open the door for the giver. I'm going to invite the music team to come forward now. I want to finish with that last passage that uh, that, uh, Peter read from Proverbs as well. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. It says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Don't be distracted in this moment because I think this part's the important part. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes, others will be refreshed. And so I want to finish today with two challenges. The first one is this. In the light of God's generosity, we should be radically, sacrificially generous people. That's the first challenge. Be generous. The second challenge is this. And it comes back to that passage I just read, and particularly the words, unduly withhold. I want to ask you the question today. Are there areas of your life where you are unduly withholding what God has given you when it comes to generously blessing others and serving him? What are the areas? Don't think about the person next to you or the person in the other aisle or the person you can think of outside of this context. Right now, this is between you and God and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to seek God and ask him to reveal to you, are there areas in my life where I am unduly withholding from God? Maybe it's with your words. Instead of encouraging people and building people up like we talked about last week, maybe just hold on to your words and you don't encourage because there's insecurities or something else. Maybe it's your words that you're withholding. Perhaps for you, it is finance. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. As a church, we want to bless people. We want to meet needs. We want to make a difference. But it's going to take finance. It's going to take sacrifice. And So in the midst of that, hold on to eternity. Because as we hold on to eternity, we'll be open-handed, not tight-fisted. Maybe for you, you're withholding time. You think, well you know, everything else takes priority. You know, I don't really have time to serve God or to come to church more than once a month, but I've got time to play four sports and watch every DVD series I've got at home over and over again. And the replay of the the drawn grand final when St. Kilda almost won a premiership. And I've got time to do those things over and over again, but I just don't have time to serve God. Let me liberate you this morning and tell you something I realized a couple of years ago, and it's life-changing and it's deep and it's profound. Are you ready? No? I'm going to say it anyway. We all have exactly the same amount of time. Time's not the problem. We're the problem. Time's not the problem. Our priorities are the problem. Maybe for you it's passion. Once again, you can be passionate about everything else, but when it comes to God, there's just a ho harm apathy. And you're withholding the passion that God so rightfully deserves. Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says, For those who are generous, you'll be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I really hope that that is the prayer of our hearts and I hope that it's a heartbeat to follow about this church, that we are a radically generous people, that our generosity would end up in God being known and lifted high and praise. As we understand the generosity of God, as we live our lives with an eternal perspective, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to reflect the image of God as radically generous people. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray.